0: You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension, a dimension of foxes, a dimension of otters, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both writing and fiction, of things and ideas you've just crossed over into the Unsheathed Zone.
1: Hi, this is Kyle Gold on Unsheathed. As uh, regular listeners of the podcast know, my co-host K.M. Hirasaki and I are big fans of Catherine Valente, author of such books as Palimpsest, Habitation of the Blessed, Deathless, and the recently released The Girl Who Circumnavigated Fairyland in a Ship of Her Own Making. She was in town to promote that last book, which debuted on the New York Times bestseller list, and graciously agreed to sit down with us for about an hour before her signing at Books Inc., and Books Inc. graciously allowed us to sit in their back room and talk to her. We're very excited for the book and for her, and uh, congratulations to her. And uh, we hope to bring you many more interviews like this in the future. And hopefully, all of our interviewees will go on to become New York Times best-selling authors. All right, we're diving. Right. Um, do you want? Do you want? Like, do we have the questions or something? Yeah, or yeah I them? brought them. The, yeah, that would. Sorry, they got don't. all bunched up because I had them all folded up nervously. I'm just like,
0: is she going to be
2: here? <laughs> Are we going to get the thing canceled?
0: And one of our questions is not. Have you been to any weird conventions that
2: people? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, oh, they're not furry questions. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Because well, the furry fandom has been into my books since day one. I've been listed on the sites and stuff. So. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. Because I've been writing about talking animals since exactly. day one. So. Uh, that's true. <laughs> there was one site that had like listed my books and then which animals could be found in the books. I was like, that's oh, commitment. See, I only heard about your
0: books from cool people. <laughs> now. <laughs> I'm kidding.
2: Well, and then some of them, I'd cut, I, I want to pat them on, they're like, precious, because they'll come in my line, in my signing line, and be like, do you know what a furry is? And I'm like, yeah, sweetie, I do know what a furry is. Like, oh, God, like, I mean, I doesn't the everybody internet.
0: these days? Was, I'm on the internet. There, there, there was a period of episodes for about three months, where at least, like, once an episode. It's like, well, so to bring up palimpsest again, but, like, it wouldn't even be in a furry context. It would be like, here's how you can
1: do something like this. You know, well, and yeah, was, I'm I, 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 the I,
2: spokesman for the bi-poly, kinky generation. <laughs> which
1: is <was> awesome. <laughs> yeah, and, and as, uh, so I should I. Should start the episode, and then we could have this conversation yeah, on we the podcast. Have us, yeah. a good point. <laughs> so these are kind of just jumping off points. Um, all right. Hi, welcome to Unsheathed episode number eighty-one. Are we at eighty-one already? We are at eighty-one. Three times nine. Oh my god. Uh, I am Kyle Gold. I'm Cam Harasaki. That's right. I remember you making you do the intro in French last time. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> And we're joined today by a very special guest, author Catherine Valenti. Welcome. Hi. Did I
2: pronounce that right? Yes, you did. I'm very proud of you. Awesome. <laughs> I've been having to get militant about that. <laughs> How do people mispronounce it? Valenti. Everyone says Valente. Oh, okay. Uh, and I didn't, I let it go for a long time because whatever, it's fine. But now I'm, I figure if my editors are saying it wrong, I should probably correct people. So everyone's being shocked that my name is not pronounced Valente. So it's Valenti. It's Valenti
1: great. Um, she's the author of many books. The most recent, I think, to come out in print is The Girl Who Circumnavigated Fairyland in a Ship of Her Own Making. Yep. And uh, so we're going to talk to her about her books and about uh, animal people and uh, whatever else comes up in the conversation. Okay. <laughs> um, so first of all, congratulations on the publication of Fairyland. It's, Thank you so much. It's awesome. Um, for those of us who, those of our listeners who don't know it, I'm um, going to talk a little bit about the journey that the book itself has had quite a remarkable yeah, it's, journey. I,
2: I mean, it, it's such a strange little story, because it was part of Palimpsest, which is uh, a very, very adult novel that I wrote. Um, well, I don't, I don't even remember when I wrote it, but it came out in 2009. Uh, and it was a book within a book. There's a couple of books within Palimpsest. Um, and one of them is the protagonist's favorite novel from when she was a little girl, the girl who circumnavigated Fairyland. Um, and it was meant to be kind of a pastiche of 1920s and 1930s children's novels that had, you know, Fairyland as this generic kind of world instead of the very specific world building we like to do these days, and had this long, gnarly title and had this whole backstory about the author who wrote it and all of those sorts of things, which is kind of woven into the background of Palimpsest. Um, and so, I'm stuck with this huge, long title now, which, which I don't mm-hmm. think that I anyone would have really gone for if I had gone through normal channels. It barely fits on the cover of the book. Um, but it's fun to say. It's fun to say. But so, while I was talking touring for Palimpsest, which was the last time I was out here in California, um, people kept asking me is it a real book? I said, no, no, it's not a real book. (laughs) They could be forgiven for thinking so though because we did an alternate reality game uh, to promote Palimpsest and we created fake Amazon pages for Fairyland and for A History of Train Travel on the Japanese Isles which is another uh, book within a book in Palimpsest Mm -hmm. and a whole backstory for the authors and um, I wrote more. I wrote about a page and a half of Fairyland as an Easter egg to find in the alternate reality game. So, uh, reality and and fantasy were very muddled uh, back then (laughs) and um, um, they said, well, well, when are you going to write it? It would be so amazing if you wrote it. I was like, oh, I will never write it. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Who would ever publish such a thing, a, a, a YA book that was so deeply connected to a really very not-YA novel? Mm-hmm. Um, if there's any kids listening, don't read Palimpsest until you're older.
1: <laughs> or get your mom's permission. Yeah, <from this> <laughs> yeah. there's not supposed to be kids listening, and we've, we've recommended Palimpsest a couple times on the yeah. show, so yeah. um, hopefully, but...
2: So, uh, a couple of – well, it wasn't a couple of years later. Gosh, it was a couple of months later. It seems like the time just was much bigger, but it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, My husband was laid off uh, during the economic crash, and six months went by, and nine months went by, and our savings was out, and he hadn't found a new job yet. Um, He's a programmer, which – it's a lot easier to find work out here as a programmer than in, let's say, Portland, Maine, Mm -hmm. which is where we were living. And we had just moved there, so we'd spent all of our money to move to Maine, and then he was laid, laid off from the job. So, it was really a tough time. And, um, and so I thought, well, okay, you know, I'm a writer. This is what I do. This is the age of crowdfunding, so I, I'll write a novel online. And um, originally, I think I was going to write something just completely original, just pull one of the ideas that was in my trunk out and, and do a novel. But I remember the day I was sitting at my computer talking to my friend on IM, and I went, oh, I could write Fairyland. Everyone wants to read Fairyland. And my friend said, oh, my God, please write Fairyland. <laughs> and, uh, and so I did. I posted a chapter every Monday with a little button that said, donate whatever you think the book is worth, or don't, you know, read it for free if you don't want to. Donate, and I recorded myself reading it, and I did a couple of, like, author's commentaries and fun little things for people, and it went truly viral. It really caught on, um, and people started linking to it and talking about it, and there was a fan community in about five seconds, and uh, people were making their own little uh, felted wyveraries, wyvern slash library. Uh-huh. Um, and, and the wyverary is awesome. Yeah, he's everybody's yeah. favorite yeah. character. And uh, and it just, it went, like, crazy. And uh, a couple, I, I stayed fairly far ahead for the posting schedule, so I had it done long before it was finished, Mm -hmm. posting online, and my agent started shopping it around, and FIWOL picked it up before it got nominated for the Andre Norton Award, which was crazy, because they'd only just changed the rules uh, two years before, so that things that were published online were eligible, and, you know, no book had had the, the sort of steam behind it to make the ballot yet, and this one did, and boy- I mean, I only went to the awards ceremony at all because there was a space shuttle launch. Like, that that was why I went. I wouldn't have gone because I was so sure I wasn't going to win. Scott Westerfeld and Melinda Lowe and, right, and John right. Scalzi, they were all up for it. It was like, there were eight books on the ballot. I was sure I wasn't going to win. And... uh and I, I went, because it was my husband's dream to see a space shuttle launch, and the you know, last time I saw one was Challenger, so I thought I could replace that memory with sure. something a little sure. better.
0: Oh, uh, man, remember, <laughs> remember
2: Pocky Brewster? Oh, yeah, Same. totally. I was in first grade in, in 86 when Challenger went up, so... Yeah, that was... Yeah, uh, I was one of those of kids. Oh, yeah, one of oh, those yeah. kids sitting in the classroom. Yeah,
1: I, I was in a classroom in college, and my physics professor <laughs> came and wrote on the blackboard, so that always makes
0: me So me and her can hang out, then? Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs>
1: You kids uh, get off my lawn. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but but somehow it, it won. Um, it was a very Oscars moment. I, I was so nervous I couldn't even eat my my lime sauce salmon thing <laughs> that they put in front of me at the hotel. And uh, and they called my name and he didn't even get through the whole title before people were applauding and, and clapping. And, uh, and I went up and I gave my speech that I had... Barely written, like three minutes before the <laughs> awards started, because I was so convinced that I wasn't going to win. Um, and so this is the first uh, self-published thing to win a major literary award. Um, it has had an extraordinary journey. It's hard for me to believe it only actually came out last week. Um, yeah, it seems. Yeah. like, I mean, I know I've
1: been hearing about it. Yeah. You know, for a while. And yeah. Then, and I remember when it won the award and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's just really great. Yeah. So, um, what else do I have here? <laughs> well, so. One of the things that I, I thought was really interesting about it, and I just read this a couple of days ago, was uh, John Scalzi promoted the book on his blog, mm-hmm. and his feature is called The Big Idea, and he asks the authors, what's the big idea of your book? Mm-hmm. And I thought you had actually a great answer for Fairyland. It's very great and very simple.
2: Yeah, the the big idea is saying yes. Um I love portal fantasies. I actually think it's one of the most universal stories. We tell portal fantasies over and over and over again. We tell them uh, in fiction and Harry Potter and most of the most famous children's uh, books, Wizard of Oz and Phantom Tollbooth. These are all portal fantasies Mm -hmm. where you find a portal to another world. Uh, But we tell it in our own lives, too. We say, one day I'll make a million dollars and I'll enter a magical kingdom full of riches and plenty. Or, you know, uh, we write these books about middle-aged college professors that have affairs and they they think that they're entering a wonderful new land of (laughs) desire and wonder and fabulousness. Fabulousness and it turns out to be pretty crap. Uh, but
0: See, this is where I get my inspiration from, people, if you're wondering. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I was going to say, we had, a, we had a professor who was a middle-aged professor, and, and he had real good taste in books, except he always had a weakness for those books where the middle-aged professor oh, is yeah. wooed by the 20-year-old mm-hmm. woman and...
2: Well, and you know. they think they're going to be the king of that fantasy land, right, too, right. just the way that heroes always <laughs> are, and they never are.
0: Um, I read these books, and I see the mistakes people make, <laughs> and I will not make those mistakes.
2: Yeah, so...
0: Stay in school, kids. <laughs>
2: So, the thing that bothers me so much about uh, a lot of portal fantasies, especially, it's less of an issue in the books of Wizard of Oz, but let's be frank, the movie is what caught American imagination about mm-hmm. the Wizard of Oz, um, and Alice in Wonderland, and all of these that I love so dearly, is that the little girl finds her way into this wondrous place out of a dirt farm in Kansas, or a very repressive life in London, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and the first thing she wants to do is go home. You know, she wants to turn on her heel and go right back home. And that is completely unrealistic, as far as yeah. the reaction of any 12-year-old child I know, to finding a magical kingdom full of magical things. Um, And I wanted a book where a girl said, awesome, I am going to go have dragon friends and have adventures, and it's going to be super great, instead of uh, just deciding to reject that world. And because portal fantasies are very often, especially those written for children, are very often about adulthood and coming of age. What's really happening there is that they're rejecting adulthood. They're rejecting this world that seems very strange to them, much as adulthood does to children, where there's all these arcane rules that don't seem to have any connection to reality, these vague ideas about sexuality and power and wealth that you don't really understand, but they they seem just extraordinary, and you can't quite touch them. But it's a rejection of all of that, and saying, no, no, I want to stay a child forever, and not the good kind of child that has a <laughs> magical imagination, <laughs> but the kind of child that works on a pig farm for the rest of their lives, and right. never actually grows up, or sees the city, or anything. And there's also kind of a rejection of urbanity by the rural, uh, rural living, and I didn't want any part of that. Uh, it's right. not how I see things. Um, I, I look at the world that I live in, which is a fairly extraordinary place with the internet, and and uh, all of the wonderful people I've met through my my subcultural communities, and I I live my life embracing the world, not rejecting it, and that's what I wanted to write a book about.
1: Yeah, and I, I was going to say a lot of those fantasies that come from like the late eight late eighteen hundreds, early to mid nineteen hundreds, are about staying with your community. Mm. It's like you know thinly veiled, you know, Dorothy, well, the city might seem right. like a wonderful magical place, right. but you really should just stay home.
2: Well, and, and, and our communities aren't adventures- geographically based anymore. They just right. aren't. We yeah. don't live in that world. And though Fairyland is actually set during World War II, its sensibility is very much the uh, decentered modern, you know, you can find your communities anywhere. They don't have to be connected to your blood and the land your family's lived on for the last three generations and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, and yeah. Uh, September's parents in the book are are working and moving around mm-hmm. a lot. And well, and it, it they're feels, working yeah. class.
2: Um, usually in Portal Fantasies, you get aristocrats or you get extremely uh, rural farming, and they're, they're middle-class working. Right, but it, but
1: it feels like a modern sensibility from that. Yeah,
2: yeah. from that. Well, and it point. never says World War II. It actually right. never says an age or, 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 or an era that it's happening in. Um, it, it makes reference to men going away to war and women working in factories, but if you think that that wouldn't happen if we had a draft now, you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Quite.
0: If... Yeah, let's try not to think about that too hard <laughs> yes um yeah, so-, so you know again sort of broaching into this whole modern sensibilities with you know fairy tale elements i actually just recently finished reading deathless which excellent book by the way i really uh, enjoyed that and sort of i just sort of wondering you know what was it about sort of like this russian folklore that really drove you to try to write you know a, a, a unique take on that?
2: Well, so, my, my husband's Russian. Um, his name's Dmitri, so I can stop saying my husband. Dmitry <laughs> is Russian. Uh, and and his family lived with us for quite a little while. And so I was listening to their stories about life in the Soviet Union a lot. And uh, Dmitri would live translate Russian fairy tales for me. He'd read the Russian out loud in English. And he was reading me the story of Marya Marevna and Koshe the Deathless. And um, Koshe the Deathless is kind of the devil of Russian folklore. He's. Uh, he's in almost every story. He kidnaps maidens. That's what he does. He just has the one job. <laughs> and, uh, the uh can get Yeah, yeah, out. exactly, exactly. And and in this one story, uh, I'll start sort of halfway through, but Mary Marevna and Yvonne the Fool get married, and they go back to her house. Her house, which I thought was interesting to begin with. And she says, you can go any- into any room, but don't go in the basement. Standard bluebeard mm-hmm. contract, I suppose. Right. <laughs> and, uh, of course, Yvonne goes into the basement immediately, and Koschei the Deathless is chained up on her wall. I was like, whoa, whoa! whoa. <laughs> why is he on her? Why is he chained up on her wall? And to me, she was like, I don't know. It's not really part of the story. I'm like, no, 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 no! no. It is the story. Like, what, what is it on purpose? Like, did she capture him? Is it on like, like, did he? Let her do that? That's really kinky. Like, chained up on the wall in the basement. Like, this is not nor- quite normal fairy tale stuff. And he's like, Look, there's like two more acts of this story. You know, this is just the beginning. And Yvonne has to go and get her back from crochet. I'm like, I don't care about Yvonne. He's terrible. I hate him. And uh, well, all I wanted to know was why was he in that basement? And so, this, the the seed of this uh, book, I said, I'm going to write a book about this. Right then, it was like 2005. And uh, that was the seed to why is he in that basement. Um, the whole book kind of swirls around that basement in that, that moment. Um, and I wanted to combine it with, uh, with World War II and the Stalinist era, in part because there's a grand, grand tradition of that in, in Russian literature. Uh, the only way, way you could critique the government was by writing science fiction and fantasy. So, there's all these amazing books, The Master and Margarita being a, a, a quite a well-known one, um, where the line between fantasy and reality is just completely gone. There's, there's no... Differentiation, And I loved that. And um, I would listen to stories from Dimitri's grandmother and his mother and his father about uh, what happened after the war and the lives they led. And Dimitri's grandmother is a former KGB. So some of those stories were pretty intense. Uh, and so it all kind of came together in one, one novel.
0: I have to say, you know, now now that you have said that, oh, that's sort of you know what you know inspired you to write this. I actually think that the 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 answer you came up with for why he's a Terminator was actually pretty clever. And now, like thinking back on it and sort of like unraveling the story from that point <laughs> instead of from either the beginning or the end, you're sort of like, oh, okay, yeah, now a lot of the thought process needs <laughs> to make sense. Um,
1: I'm still sort of just like marveling over that. I get to process it more later. Okay. Um- One of the things we were just talking about a little bit prior to the podcast is you said the furry fandom has been into the books from day one, and Mm. you know talking animals and stuff, and um, so which is something that we find interesting because we're the furry community has now got like a whole lot of its own writing going on, and people Mm -hmm. within the community producing writing, which is which is amazing, and we find that a lot of times they've become very insular, and Mm. it's a little difficult to get people now to reach out beyond what has been sold at conventions right. and whatnot. Um, but I thought that you're sorry about the people who put up like what animals could be found in the Yeah, and, yeah, and the fact that you do use animals, I mean, they recur, and I think all. Oh the books yeah, I don't think I've read.
2: written a book that doesn't have talking animals in it. Yeah. I mean, part of it's folkloric. Like talking animals are hardcore folklore. Right, there isn't a culture that that has that doesn't have a story of 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 animals that have the same sentience that humans do. Um, the labyrinth was my first novel, and uh, I think there's only one human character in labyrinth. Everybody else is either a sentient maze or an animal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. um can I just say that I love that it's possible for you to utter that sentence? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, I remember uh, finding a website shortly shortly after Labyrinth showed that it had some legs. It was a Locus recommended book. And that it was listed with a bunch of other books that had like positive furry images. And it had a list of the animals that could be found in the Labyrinth. And then the other books of mine as as they came out. Because, yeah, I don't, they all do. All of them.
0: I'm, I'm amused yeah. that you know about this list and I don't.
2: I, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean that's what comes from ego googling. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: I've also heard that called vanity surfing. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm I'm not going to lie, I do that from time to time. Oh yeah.
0: like, go- Googling oneself just sounds dirty. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Self googling. <laughs> Insert thirty rock.
2: reference there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um,
0: you know, I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> Which is sad. Sorry, <laughs> it's,
1: um, it's one of our Thirty Rock is one of our standby mm. reference shows. Um, but that's that's cool. It is it's it's a real folklore thing. And what's interesting is we find that books that are sort of using them as folklore devices, as opposed to um, the books that are written from a purely like furry fandom sensibility, mm. the furry fandom books have a little different spin on them, and it's much more. Um I don't quite know how to say this. I think I think
0: the way I, 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 I think it's the difference between animals that happen to be people and people that happen to be animals.
2: Okay. All right. <laughs> um no, I, mean- <laughs> I think
1: yeah, I mean I think my the well, the Somebody way, the way that, like,
0: "quote unquote," we would do it is they're people first, and they happen to also be animal critters, not so right, much. Right. Whereas, that,
2: like, part of what I'm interested in is non-human intelligences. Um, mm-hmm. You know, well,
1: mazes and yeah, obviously. <laughs> right. yeah.
2: Um, but I suppose that uh, Palimpsest is is a good one for that because of all the people with the animal parts grafted on. Yeah. Um, well, and also
1: the the city itself.
2: Yeah. Well. Yeah.
1: Which is kind of cool too.
2: Yeah, I I. I dig making non sentient things sentient uh. yes and uh, and
1: actually the the other book that we 've talked about of yours is Habitation of the Blessed, mm. which mm-hmm. goes kind of all out in that oh yeah well, but you know here. that 's
2: not for me you can't there, you can 't spell Prester John without furry really like, they, <laughs> <laughs> um, like everyone there is some kind of some kind of bizarre monster. Um, but I love monsters. Like monsters, monsters are my people. Um, I, I from the very beginning, I've, I've wanted to write monstrous voices and and talk about monstrous communities and how you know monsters stick together and and protect each other. Which is
0: also a big theme in Deathless. too. Oh yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. And I think
1: I think we get a lot of those same themes too. Sort of the the outcast mm-hmm. and the community of outcasts mm-hmm. is a big is a big thing, and that runs through a lot of uh, a lot of the fiction that we see coming through here but um
2: yeah i mean you're talking about how furry fandom has always been into my work i think that part of the reason even though i'm not myself a furry um is that i'm from a mainstream press you know i'm published by the big new york presses and yet all of these themes are there in my work and Mm -hmm. you you can't always find um these kinds of really subversive kinky sorts of themes in mainstream press books
1: and one definition actually that um one of our publishers uses is because people ask him what makes a book quote-unquote furry Mm -hmm. and he's like well it's if the author identifies themselves as a furry then Mm -hmm. it's a furry book but what we keep trying to sort of tell people is there's these really good books out there that have these elements as well and trying to convince people to just sort of you know look out there for more stuff because just you know just because you belong to this community doesn't mean you have to stay within the community also then there's all kinds of stuff out there um, to look at and listen to and yeah. read and, and enjoy.
2: Yeah. Well, and a, a lot of my books deal with um, alternative sexualities in, in general and the embracing of that and treating them as just normal. I don't, I don't ever have a moment in Palimpsest where we sit down and talk about what it means to be gay <laughs> yeah, or right. what it means to be poly or anything like that. It's not, and in Deathless, we certainly don't have, in, especially in Stalinist Russia. We don't sit down and have a conversation about this being kind of kinky BDSM stuff. It just happens and it's just normal and it's people exploring what what they want and what it means about them personally that that these are things that they react to with desire. And, uh, I mean, I think that that is a powerful thing, um, when I'm at conventions, furries come to my readings all the time. Sometimes mm-hmm. in their full gear, and uh, and I'm I'm one of the writers that will talk about furry fandom and furry uh, sexuality without talking down to them or or making it. People don't even
0: come furry. to my readings in full furry gear. What am I
2: doing here? <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, they came for a lot. Well, conventions. I, couple- I mean, like oh, conventions okay, where true. they're yeah. It, I think that there's a whole different rule set about costumes at conventions. Yes wherever they can get away with it yeah, oh, God. Yeah. pretty I'm much
0: just, i'm just thinking of the horror stories i've heard about dragon con now
2: oh see i've never been to dragon uh, con so
0: i hear it's just sort of like people like oh you think furry conventions are weird like you go to dragon con it's like here let me watch me put this metal spike through my arms oh well <laughs> just <yeah>. like
2: ah <laughs> <There's->
1: <laughs> all kinds of stuff yeah um
0: wasn't well, that delightful
1: yeah <laughs> you're welcome thank you thank you for that
2: image
1: <laughs> <laughs> P- bring up a star wars reference um what are you working on next
2: um so i'm working on the sequel to fairyland uh yeah. which is called the girl who fell beneath fairyland and led the Revels there um i'm working on a new novel which is a deco punk space opera alt sf hollywood <laughs> mystery kind of <laughs> Okay, so it's not just us that comes I, up with these weird descriptions I, I'm really of bad, bad at are. pitching my books that's why I have an agent um, so that, that there's that thing uh, well there's a short story on uh, online uh, at Clark's World already called The Radiant Car Thy Sparrows Drew and that's it's an expansion of that story okay um, and Clark's uh, World
1: Magazine with an E in there yeah. Clark ES yes. World
2: so those are the those are the main things I'm working on. I have a, an AI novella that'll come out in the fall, and I've, I always have a bazillion things that I'm doing. Um, Which is cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I do, do the you. Same. <laughs> I know, I know. I
1: do the same thing. Um, I don't have any and, discipline to do more than one thing at a time. Is my problem, and, and, and it the, is a problem. <laughs> the uh, the second Prester John book is.
2: Oh yeah, sorry. The folded world's already done. So that's done. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's coming out in November. Cool.
1: Wow. So you're, you've got like a ton of books coming. 2011
2: out. was all like I I knew a while ago 2011 was going to be a crazy year um, that's
1: very that's
2: very cool so um,
1: so what would you say to people who wanted to try, to try to kind of get their own writing out there and you know obviously and I'm I'm not quite clear on this but did you start with some self-published online books or no
2: small presses did, it was all small press yeah yeah. did you have a couple out.
1: books up on your website that you're yeah. electronically and those were small press first um
2: Yeah, The Labyrinth, Yumi Nohan, The Book of Dreams, and The Grass Mm Cutting Story were all small press. I did another serial novel way back in the day around early 2005 when I just started publishing because uh, I was living in Japan and I was there because of the military and the military wouldn't pay to bring my dog home. I didn't have enough money to bring my dog home from Japan so I wrote a novel online to raise money to bring her home. (laughs) I still have her, Sage, uh, and and that's called the Ice Puzzle, and that'll actually be coming out in hardback from PS next year. Uh, so, so all of my all of my internet projects will be happily living between covers by next year. Just real quick, what where in Japan were you living? I was in Yokosuka.
0: Really? Okay. Yeah. I I, I lived up uh, in Almori near the uh, Misawa Air Base. Yeah, it's just south yeah. of Yokohama. Yokosuka yeah. is
2: the Navy base.
0: Right. I was just like curious, I was like, wait, yeah. I'm like there's there's like there's like one of three answers that
2: that's uh, yeah, be much.
1: If it's like you know, a military base in Japan. But so, so the lessons we're taking away from this for our listeners is you have to really need money and then
2: <laughs> no, <I laughs> write, mean, a, write a book I did, out there I, But I've get, also done, you know, all of these books traditionally and right, right. people ask me all the time, how can I make my book a self-publishing success like yours? And I'm like, well try publishing seven novels through traditional methods first. Right. That's what worked for me. <laughs> um, and and when you when you do published through traditional means you get to know the whole community and you're part of the conversation and that helps when you need to um, you know, spread word about a project uh, which is not why you should be part of the conversation the conversation's awesome that's why you should be part of the conversation right. but right. you know you put you get out of the internet exactly as much as you put into it and usually exactly the same kind of things you put into it so if you put a lot of douchey behavior on the internet mm. you can get a lot of it back if you put a lot of good energy into the internet it'll give it back yes. to you
1: um, and you're are you uh, I know you were running for an SFWA position. Yes. Um, did are you in that position currently? Um,
2: we, it hasn't been announced yet, uh, so I I can't tell you. But I can tell you, I ran against nobody. So <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, mm. <laughs> odds are good. <laughs>
1: Excellent. Well, we'll be pulling for you. Man,
0: why um, can't I ever have a good fortune to be in a race against nobody? That ever happened. <laughs>
1: I can't even do that on Foursquare. But, that, <laughs> but that's that's another way to sort
2: of be part of things. And yeah, yeah. You, know, you take some responsibility for your community. You get the community you create. Right. And and I wanted to be part of... I think that what John John Scalzi and Mary at Cole have done for SIFO is extraordinary, and I wanted to be part of it.
1: Very cool. Um, how are you enjoying our... Weather out here in California—it's
2: awesome because I hate the heat. I <laughs> moved away from California to Maine on purpose because I hate the heat. So I think it's fantastic. It's yes. fifty degrees outside, and it's just about fifty degrees in Maine right now. So <laughs> and awesome. it's drizzling
1: here, and it's probably yep. drizzling back in Maine too. Yep, yep. Um. So my the- my
2: advice for right people who are trying to break in, as you were saying earlier, yeah. is uh, you need to read a lot, everything, and not just stuff that is in your particular subcultural genre, but yeah. you need to be reading a tremendous amount of books. I read somewhere that uh, you should turn over half a library to make one novel, and I think that's true. It might be an understatement. Um, you will never be able to tell what's good or bad without reading. And the people who want to be writers and they, don't, they are not avid readers, I don't understand them at all. Who right. do you uh, think yeah. is going to read uh, yeah, your books? If you <laughs> if you don't think reading is important, why should I pay attention to anything you have to say? So,
0: these are invariable the people. It's like, I wrote this 300,000 word thing, and it's just like... Yep. Yeah no <laughs> no, <laughs> especially if nobody knows who you are, nobody's gonna want to sit and read all of that.
2: Yeah no.
1: Yeah. Right exactly, and see people. It's not it, just <laughs> us that tell you
0: these asterisks. Things. In most cases, there are exceptions. to Your mileage may vary. If I don't know who you are, I'm sorry, not gonna read your three hundred thousand words. I wouldn't read three hundred thousand words of what I wrote.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and a lot of the we get the people that kind of they live very much in their own heads, and they've read mm-hmm. a couple things, and then they're like, well, I want to write my own spin on right, that, right. and. And it's not just you know seeing what what else is out there, what's good and what's bad because you, know, you do have to read the bad in addition to the yeah,
0: good. Yeah, yeah, you have to. You have to learn
1: how what not to do.
0: Yeah. Right. Or if you read a book that other people highly recommend and you don't like it, you have to be able to understand why you don't like it and what you don't like about it.
1: And that's okay.
0: Yeah. yeah, to not like yeah, it. Yeah,
2: It's totally okay. I like all. I dislike all kinds of things that people like. And <laughs> obviously, if you've read my blog, and uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> which, which I like things should. that people don't like too. So
1: yes. Um, But also, sort of, as you said, where where the inspiration for Deathless came from, Mm -hmm. from reading other people's stories, you get inspirations for sort of side ideas and like, well, hey, what would happen? You know, why this one scene in this one book, why did that happen? Well, I could write a whole book about that.
2: Very often, I I end up writing a book because I got mad at a genre and and wanted to punch it i guess <laughs> um, so yeah I genre mean, inspiration a face, I was say, I I punch yes jim butcher <laughs> at the
0: first <laughs> book of the dresden files he's like this this is all just tripe and i like apparently instructor was like well why don't you try writing it and he's like okay i will just to show you how awful it will be and now he's like 14 books into the series and he's like oh
1: wow but yeah um i don't is there anything else that, i mean We're just having fun
2: chatting. Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything in particular I want to talk about, but any coming up? Or you uh, well, I'm still, I'm on tour right now. So I'm in Portland next. My uh, Not my Portland, Oregon, other Portland. Right. Uh, we're first Portland, proper Portland. Other Portland <laughs> is named after us. Uh, <laughs> so you always have
1: to call like Portland, Oregon. I was well, on, on sure. Twitter. I
2: always have to say Portland, Maine, because otherwise I, people would be like, oh, I'll meet you at such and such. I'm like, nope. Wrong <laughs> Portland. Um, and so now, I, now I'm i in wrong, wrong Portland uh, next uh, as of tomorrow. And then I'll be in Seattle over the week weekend and on monday and then new york for bea and then i will be in wisconsin for WisCon at uh madison
0: Speaking of, like, no, you're not going to run into me, I'm amazed by how often people are like, hey, I'm going to be out in California, like, maybe we can meet up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, where are you going to be? It's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be in L.A. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you are 500 miles away. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, no.
2: Welcome to the East Coast knowledge of West Coast geography. Uh,
0: like, <laughs> like I said, yes. like, I, I grew up in Massachusetts, and, like, even my family, like, they'll see things on the news, like, wildfires down in, like, the San Bernardinos. And they're like, oh, my God, is that near you? And I'm just like, you know what? Like, when something's happening in Maryland, I want to call you and make sure you're okay. <laughs> when like, I lived in
2: Japan, my mother-in-law would call whenever there was a big earthquake. I'm like, I'm not even on the same island. like it, I'm yeah. not anywhere near where that happened. And I, but I've lost my California legs, like we've been driving around the Bay area so much, and I'm like, oh my God, everything is so far. If we drove this far <laughs> in Maine, we'd be in Boston, like. <laughs> And I, I I grew up on the west coast I know what distances are like here and yet somehow I have just completely uh, forgotten yeah, <laughs> yeah. like the driving
0: the driving mentality in New England is great like you'll be like in Boston it's like Nashua that's like yeah. 40 minutes away <laughs> and I'm just like I can't even get to San Francisco from here and, and I, that's oh. technically where I tell people I live and I,
1: and I had the inverse of that where I had my my aunt flew out to a wedding in San Jose and did not tell me that she <laughs> was coming and she she didn't call until she was driving down 101 and saw a sign specifically for the town that she recognized from my address and she was like wait is that here and then yeah. she called me and she's like i think i just passed your exit like, <laughs> yeah you just had lunch at the grocery store where we go all the time so
2: yeah i mean it it is just so vast out here and i don't know it's all in the same general area right petaluma is pretty much the same as san francisco yeah. it's fine
1: sure. <laughs> sure you know Northridge, Chico, well. <laughs> yeah <laughs> But um, but it's cool. So yeah, so,
2: or, yeah, so can, I, uh, all my tags. All your tags. Uh, so I am Tell on Twitter at catvalenti Valenti. That's Valenti with an E on the end. Uh, <laughs> I am Yuki Ona on LiveJournal, Y-U-K-I-O-N-N-A. Uh, I am Catherine Valenti on Facebook. Uh, CatherineMValenti.com is my website where all of that stuff can be found also. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's all my interwebs. I'm the learned yeah. cat on uh, Ravelry, if, any, if there's knitters <laughs> listening. I think there's quite a bit of venue. <laughs> Between furry and knitting fandom, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, the like but I mean, geek girls—we all knit. Like it's like ninety percent of us are, really? are also knitters. That's a
0: secret that they keep from us guys. Yeah, it's
2: I uh, so. well, I, I know a couple of guy knitters it, it huh. is it is an acceptable thing for guys to do I wish more guys would do it the, the plus you get so much credit like you don't even have to be good at knitting but if you're a male doing it people will be like oh my god wow that's just amazing I've got like this web of spidery lace and he's <laughs> doing some dinky ass thing and, and he's just a rock star and I'm like alright
0: the best I can <laughs> do is writing. I can sew a button back onto a pair of pants if I watch a YouTube video immediately Aww.
1: beforehand
2: knitting's easy it's actually just tying knots and doing math It's, it's not I, very I know hard.
1: how to talk about knitting <laughs> knit one purl two, two. That's, 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 that's the thing what with I numbers know. that makes that's my head it. hurt right <laughs> that's, that, that's all that's all I got um, and you guys should follow the live journal because um, she posts excellent long discussions about things that uh, you might not usually think about um, Kyle has been known to link to her a lot I, I do I do link to your journal a lot um Posted a long discussion about Tangled recently.
2: Yes, I did. Yeah. Oh, I got some pushback on that. <laughs> don't mess with Disney, man. They bite. <laughs> wow. But no, no, not from Disney. It, I didn't get any pushback from Disney. But, but like the, people the get Disney very fans. attached yes. to Disney movies. Yes. And um, I, I, t- I liked Tangled, but I. I could not escape that the witch was very coded as a Jewish woman, and it bothered me because she's basically eating this young Aryan woman to stay youthful, and there's, like, gender and race and blood libel issues there, and I was like, "Oh, I can't, this is really... Disturbing and upsetting, and I—I I, I mean, the post was to say, "Am I crazy for seeing this?" And most people seem to think, "No, no, not at all." That, that it was—it was fairly obvious. And in fact, the casting call uh, for that character talks about that she's a, a Jewish mother. Um, but then, well, yeah, some-
1: and her name and yeah, yeah. Well, thing. I
2: mean, but Mother Gothel is the name of the. Um, of the character in many versions of that story. Uh, it doesn't really make it much better. It, you know, it's still a very common <laughs> Jewish surname. but It
1: uh, just means you're carrying forward the prejudices yeah, that I mean, like, created the original fairy tale. Germany
2: I mean. in the 1800s was so up on Judaism. Like, <laughs> it was great. But, um, but, but uh, yeah, some people felt that I was way reading into things. and
1: I, I, I would almost more ascribe it to ignorance and, the, and just sort of – you know, what What you do, like, you're very aware of all the, the, the symbolism and the imagery and everything that you use in the stories mm-hmm. and that you adapt to the stories. And I think a lot of people, and we see this a lot in some of the, the stories that come across our plates, a lot of people are just like, I think this looks cool – and don't give any thought to what's lying behind it. Yeah, all.
2: Yeah, but at the same time, I think we all are aware on some level, and it behoves us as creators of art to uh, examine our awarenesses and, and what we're promoting. I mean, even down at the basic level of we like to make evil villains dark and mm-hmm. heroines light, Blonde. that's yeah. not really cool, actually. That's kind of terrible. And... Uh, And Disney has perpetuated a lot of crap over the years, and you can tell that they were trying to go for this sort of feminist, you know, at least spunky, so that's about as feminist as Disney gets, uh, take on Rapunzel. And, you know, if they were going to go that far, they could have gone a step further and not racially typified uh, one of the characters. It's not that hard to not be a dick. Like (laughs) I know it it's, seems yeah. really hard, but it's not. You just have to take a step back and think, if I were anything but a straight white guy, is there something here that would upset me? Like, yeah,
1: and I, I think a lot of people just don't take those steps. I mean, it's, it's something it, that... Well, that's
2: I mean, it's the definition of privilege as yeah. a straight white remember yeah, Most exactly. of these creators are we straight white the, men, and they don't have to.
1: We in kind of the, the outsider community have to... Yeah, take those stands and you know the gay community is the same way because you, you look at things out there and you're like how do they not see that that's offensive and sometimes they really just don't because that's it's just what they've been brought up with
2: I yeah there's I a gay character aren't you happy good enough I actually
0: remember I was reading this one book a few years ago it was like a you know, book about you know writing and the craft and they were talking about like different personality types and one of the personalities was gay and I'm like gay is not a personality no no, <laughs> like,
2: no. Well, and you know, people have, have asked me if I got any grief over Palimpsest, and I mean, all of the characters in Palimpsest are bisexual, and some of them are- Vehemently are, so. Are, are, yeah, they are, they are <laughs> extra. Uh, some of them are gay-leaning bisexual, some of them are straight-leaning bisexual, and it's never commented on or discussed in the con- in the context of the book. And I think because I never discussed it, I never got any pushback, not from my editors, not from anybody else, because you can't- you can't separate the sexuality from the book. There is no palimpsest without bisexuality, without right. functional non-punished bi- bisexuality yeah, woven into, yeah, the, yeah. and like and the you, you even, can't pull it out,
0: right? Yeah, I think like even for the characters that are like you know like mostly straight-leaning who you know like end up like tipping the other way sometimes, it's. There's never a big deal made yeah. out of it. Yeah, and there's and no, like, that, horrible life yeah. crisis
2: afterwards. Oh, no, like, I did it with a dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fine, because sexuality is a very fluid thing in that in, in, in our universe, not just that universe. It is very fluid. Um, I didn't and, do it with a dude.
0: I did it with another person who had a tattoo. Yeah. That's the important part. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> And, yeah, so I, I, it was very important to me from the very beginning of Palimpsest that all of the characters it, be particularly bisexual, because I'm bisexual, and, and um, we can find a number of gay and lesbian characters in m- media and, and a much larger number in print media these days, but there's still not a whole lot of bisexuals that aren't treated as freaks. Uh, they, they are the perverted ones, even in the gay community, right. or dead by the end. And, uh, be, and or dead or really, really sorry about what they've done in, in a nice little family, you know? Um, and I didn't want, uh, again, I didn't want any part of that. And, right. uh, and so I wanted to write a book where that was just normal. And I think when you treat it as just normal, when it's not, when gay is not a personality type, it is just one stat on your chart, uh, then mm-hmm. you can't separate it from the book and you don't really get any, get well, get nearly as much um, uh, a negative response to it. Right. because how can you, you no one would have gotten through that book if they read the first the, there's a reason that the first sex scene is a lesbian sex scene like if, I, although I know that that's probably the least offensive but that it yeah, basically says sort of like, there's going to be gay up in here hey, right up front yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like if you have a Big problem flag. turn back now Spoilers, <laughs> <laughs> gay yes exactly
1: <laughs> well I, I think that was our buzzer indicating that we're uh, yeah. running short on time we need to let uh, Ms. Valente get to her reading okay and uh, but thank you so much for coming down here a little bit early and chatting with us Thanks
0: for having me. Yeah, yeah, we really appreciate we're, you taking the time yeah.
1: to do it. And uh, we're going to stick around, of course, for the reading, and we hope that some of our listeners showed up and will also I'm be actually like,
0: I'm actually like, really curious to walk back out there and see if anyone that I know is out there now.
1: Yeah, well, hopefully at least uh, a couple. But... Uh, Thanks again. Uh, again, the book that just came out is The Girl Who Circumnavigated and Navigated Fairyland in a Ship of Her Own Making. Which is
2: YA for, for young readers, but which can it, be ad- enjoyed by older readers, right. readers too. And there, there can, no- can be your
0: stepping sort into Palimpsest, which is very much not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or, or into Deathless or Habitation of the Blessed, which is somewhat less actually i don't know about deathless you've read that one
0: deathless is pretty pretty sexy at points not like well but but it's
2: it's definitely got strong sexual it's the whole like
0: i'm gonna like bite you and make you bleed while you're chained to the wall in my basement
2: like that sort of thing yeah, I mean, hot. <laughs> cool. Oh,
0: real, quick, real, 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 real quick before we sign out, though, and this is mostly for our listeners, I sort of have this reputation for writing really depressing stuff, but I also want to go on record to say I never wrote anything that was set during the Siege of Leningrad, <laughs> which is, like, one of the worst things it's to ever actually scene. happen. Is so
2: upsetting, and <laughs> like, on every level, the Siege of Leningrad is so just awful. Like, I, like, as I laugh notes, while were, saying like, it, like, it's you, so I, bad. You mentioned
0: in your end notes, like, the research you did into it, and when I was done reading it, I'm like, let me just, like, like, because obviously like, I have like a vague impression of like what happens. Like, let me like just like look up like more of like what no, it's actually happened. That's way worse back then. than and, like, <laughs> like I'm looking at like the death tolls, and I'm like, this is
2: horrible. <laughs> but we don't know very much about yeah. it in the U.S. because you can't make a good movie. You know, yeah. you see, the Stalingrad is, what, is the one we like to make movies out of because yeah. there were sniper duels and explosions, and it's all very manly and fighting. Like, no, you're and, you know, gonna eat no, the no, toothpaste in the wallpaper.
0: Like, yep, like, wall, like three the years of starving yeah. to
2: death slowly. Oh, wow, it's not anything it's it's one of the worst things that's ever happened in human history and it was very important to me to treat that with respect in the book and i hope i did
1: so deathless boys and girls
2: (laughs) (laughs) up with people but it is also probably the funniest book i've ever written like for all of that
0: i have to say baba yaga every time she is on page i'm just like love this (laughs) um and Lovatova, who, if you ever get this made into a movie, I want her played by Lady Gaga.
2: <laughs> oh my god, she would be amazing! <laughs> like that, that, no, seriously, I I'm she just like, so I'm like, if
0: Lady Gaga were a magician, <laughs> this is who she would be.
2: Oh my god, she would be, she'd be awesome.
0: You can have that for free,
2: just like, let everyone know you got it for me. <laughs> she has to get to a reading. I know!
1: <laughs> <laughs> Look at this up now. <laughs> Well, thank you again. We've had a great thank time, you. and we wish you great success in the future, and uh, go check out the Books and Live Journal that we've tagged uh, previously in the podcast. Yep. Um, I'm Kyle Gold.
0: Okay, I'm <laughs> And uh
1: Being very modest now. <laughs> good night, and keep writing.